Give us life for the garden, life for the starting out. You give us hope for the future, hope found within our doubt. You give us all that we needed and all that we could do without. Welcome to season four of Create In Me. Well, hello and welcome to the Create In Me podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Rebecca Craver and I, happy to, uh, to be with you again for this ongoing conversation about the things that make worship worshipful, the creativity, the generativity, the connection and the presence that we bring to it. So we're trying something a little different. Uh, we wanted to have a round table conversation taking a, a passage that typically would be one that preachers, that worship planners, music directors probably try their best to avoid. Uh, probably scriptures that congregations don't really want to hear preached on. Um, what would we do with something like that? So we've got a couple of friends together. Uh, we're going to do a roundtable style podcast conversation uh, looking into the story of the cursing of the fig tree and the, uh, the story of Zipporah and, uh, and a very weird uh, incident that happens in the book of Exodus shortly after the, uh, the burning bush, uh, which is probably more what we're interested in hearing about. But anyway, we're gonna have a lot of fun with this and uh, we will turn it over to, uh, to, to Stacy and Andrew for introduction. So uh, welcome, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Stacy, why don't you kick things off? Let us know where you are and, uh, and just say hello. Good morning. Uh, thanks, Brian and Rebecca. Um, I'm glad to be here today. I am um, pastor, one of the co-pastors at Common Grace. Uh, Common Grace is a federated congregation, newly federated. It is the, um, the congregation formerly known as Lakeview Moravian Community Church, kind of like the whole Prince thing, formerly known uh, the artist. Uh, so, so we're going with that. Um, but the federation model is um, for those of you in the southern province, it's like the dwelling where we have an ELCA Lutheran church and a Moravian church, each retaining their denominational identity, but worshiping together under one um, congregational umbrella. And the name of that congregation is Common Grace on the east side of Madison. So we're grateful um, to be together and I'm grateful to be here with all of you. Thanks. And I'm Andrew Heil. I serve as associate pastor of Home Arabian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I've been there for about four and a half years, uh, and I'm happy to be here today. And I'm Rebecca Craver. I'm always on these conversations, so hopefully you know a little bit about me, but um, I'm super excited. This is a new idea, so I'm pretty pumped about what we're going to get into today. Yeah, so let's let's kick it off. Um, we're we're a group of pastors, worship planners, sitting down, doing some thinking ahead, and we've got these two passages. We uh, I don't know if we want to pick the cursing of the fig tree either from Mark or Matthew. I would say we can kind of decide on that, and then of course the story from um, Exodus chapter four. The, the pericope, the little bit there, verses 24 to 26. Jesus curses the fig tree in the morning, 
When he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. So where would we start with that? Do we want to... Um, And I think in a little bit of this process too will be maybe each of us kind of sharing our uh, the ways we go about worship planning. You know the kind of resources we we draw to ourselves, the the conversations we have uh, with with other practitioners, the conversations we have with different different commentaries, with different um, with different sources. Uh, what is it that we try to bring into? Uh, the conversation what is it that we want to have there with us you know kind of the you know the newspaper in one hand the bible in the other or or whatever that looks like for you rebecca you were talking about like almost trying to visualize uh a, a drying down a shriveling up uh, of something um how and if if the premise of this conversation is like any outrageous any any kind of um you know, something we wouldn't ordinarily do. No constraints. Like, I think one of the, the things we kind of set out there as a bit of a, a springboard was anything you can imagine would be possible. You know, you don't have to worry about the physical constraints of your worship space. You don't have to worry about um, the volunteer base that you have to draw from. Uh, if you're like, man, if I could have, you know, the Madison Orchestra come in, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, like, like really, yeah, no limits. But then, of course, trying to bring it home. But this would be a worship service for actual people needing to hear the word in some way. Any, uh, any, any first, first thoughts on that passage? Um, I so so it's interesting for me. I mean, immediately I thought about um, some folks uh, on my side of town that um, do a lot of potted bare branches for Lent, you know, fill their sanctuary with a lot of the sort of barren imagery. And I thought, you know, so what would it be like to do that? I mean, I, I like to have visual stuff if I can. Um, and I think you almost could do something like a withering on a, you know, I mean, do some sort of, um, GIF or, 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 you know, video piece, right, with that, yeah. but I thought, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be um, kind of impactful to have a whole bunch of potted bear stuff? I've got a, a big hibiscus that is on my patio in the end, and I thought, so what if it just, you know, what if I hadn't taken it in, and what if it would have died, right, like seeing a big potted plant that's just leafless, dead, and then what, you know, if there were no, no constraints, I took you seriously about that when you said that, Brian. So if there were no constraints, you know, what would it take to get an imported potted fig tree, right? That is in bloom, that is even maybe fruiting. 
um, and put it in the middle of the chancel area or, um, surrounded by all this dead um, plants. And, and um, just to get a, a very real sense, I mean, I think we gloss over this sort of stuff all the time, but, um, but there's some impact to seeing something dead, right? There's some, there's some spiritual impact to just witnessing something lifeless um, versus something with life. And so for me, that was one of the places I went first was what could we do visually to make that feel um, significant? Yeah, Stacey, I really like um, uh, where you went with that. And it reminded me there's a garden ministry um, in uh, in our congregation at home church, um, and and there are fig trees. Um, uh, as it happens, I have forgotten uh, that. Um, uh, uh, and and I, uh, uh, in so much as we could uh, bring in the trees, the other uh, element that that I was thinking about was um, uh, again no time constraints uh, is um, uh, having. Obviously, this would take a long time to. Uh, um, because fig trees also take uh, many years, I think, to bloom initially. But um, but uh, but having um, uh, video footage of sort of watching the season sort of in a rapid um, uh, motion uh, feature um, and seeing um, the the growth or the decline of of the seasons, how it changes, how it moves, how it grows, um, and the way uh, in which. Um, uh, the visual of that. I think um, what you what you've added, uh, Stacey, though I think would provide a sense of touch uh, or something more than the visual, the smell, um, the uh, the sight, um, and but um, but yeah, I think I think having um, uh, something there uh, also because um, both in Matthew's version and in Mark's version of of of, of the story, uh, the. Um, uh, this is not the only place where fig trees are mentioned. And so there's a, um, uh, there's this, there's this literal story of, of, um, uh, of the, the fig tree withering before the eyes of the disciples. Um, uh, but then there's also this illusion, this poetic, um, uh, figurative illusion, of, of a parabolic uh, story from Jesus a little bit later um, about uh, a fig tree uh, blooming again. And so, um, the uh, looking at the context of 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 uh, of this passage and where it's located in uh, in in Matthew's gospel in relation to um, uh, to Jesus cleansing of the temple, uh, I think you uh, I I would I would lean toward wanting to to link uh, the figurative um, parable of Jesus from a little bit later as a way of uh, of connecting um, the um, uh, the implications of the withering of the tree uh, earlier, and then also uh, this sort of um, uh, uh, eschatological hope or promise, anticipation um, that uh, that Jesus is also speaking to in relation to the word um, uh, that he is proclaiming uh, in that parable. Um, and um, uh, so that, um, I don't know if you want to dig into uh, to the context of that uh, a little bit more, but um, um, but I certainly was thinking about that as a reflection on where it might go in, in the worship space. Yeah, I'm always interested in like the context of the story, what's happening there. And I think that especially with these kind of like texts that we don't pay much attention to, you know, they're kind of like flyover texts. 
you know, we just sort of, oh yeah, we read that and whenever there was a victory and it died. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see like, why did the writer think that that was important enough to include in the story? And, and while, you know, we know that there are stories sometimes and we do, we tell this little bit because it makes it make sense just a little bit more. It's not a huge and important part of the story, but I think there, it is, does still make a significant impact on the whole. Um, and so I love the idea of connecting it to the cleansing of the temple. Like, what does that, what does that have to do with this story? Um, and what is that preparing us as future disciples to understand about what's going on and what the disciples are experiencing to, to see this? Um, and I think what's, I mean, what's great about the visual images of the fig tree, anything that has like all of these elements, you could also use figs. Um, I'm not sure how, but like, what would it be like to have people um, maybe to start with like giving everybody you know, a fig or a fig Newton or whatever, you know, kind of thing, um, you know, and to, to have them think about like the sweetness of the fig, you know, because figs have kind of a weird texture and taste and it's different, like, and I don't think a lot of people are just like throwing back figs. And so it might be something to introduce sort of an experience to the taste of it. And I actually was thinking, Stacey, about what would it be like to have people kind of walking, like what if you entered into a different space and saw like this fig tree that was in bloom and, and had this sort of abundant feeling. And then as you walked into the congregation or the sanctuary space, what if then that was the dead fig tree? And then the reflection was on like, those like catching your breath of like, this was not what I expected, or um, this is a huge change so that you actually see the transition. Um, because I think sometimes we do tell these stories and people kind of, okay, yeah, the fig tree died and we're over but like i imagine that seeing that would have been much more kind of like startling you know that here we are and oh my it doesn't even look like the same place because this tree is no longer alive in the same way so I, i'm interested in like again in those connections with the story and and why why was this like i think that's the the interesting part for worship why was the story included and, and what does it mean for us to really spend some time with it? Um, and I feel that way about pretty much every scripture we read, like that that's the invitation for worship is to, to dig a little deeper and to, to see what's coming up. I, I feel like the, the reason we miss this scripture is because we're so busy with Palm Sunday. Like this is the Hosanna. Oh, this is the Sunday we get to hang, sing the Hosanna. We, we don't wanna hear about this cursed fig tree and Stacy, when you were talking, I, I could hear um, it's a song by the White Stripes. I think it's called Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. And that just that queued up in my head. And, and I was wondering, wow, would there be any way to incorporate just some kind of, you know, some kind of real bluesy, gravelly. Uh, I don't want to like ruin people's Palm Sunday, though, like like but it would be really powerful, I think, sometimes to to subvert our expectations of worship and but again I, if we're just thinking wildly without constraint to say yeah i would do this as a palm sunday service we wouldn't sing the hosanna we, we'd listen to white stripes we'd have dead plants in the sanctuary um it, and and i keep stretching this all the way back to even like genesis where God starts kind of handing out curses and he curses the serpent and he tells Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. And then when we kind of get to Christmas, I know I'm all over the place with this, but then we start singing joy to the world. 
because the curse is removed. And as far as the curse is found, um, you know, no more the curse. We have a lot of songs about this, but I think though that those those things really give this cursing the fig tree a lot of context. And like you were saying, Andrew, about the the imagery of the fig and the branches and the vines and fruitfulness and, and the flourishing of human community. And I don't think it's that Jesus is just being capricious and mean, like, oh, why do you hate plants? You know, it's like, it's in the context of the temple. It's in the context of, you know, the passion that's coming. And there's, I don't know, there, there's a real urgency. I don't know, there's, a, I don't know. Those are just some kind of my initial thoughts on that. Well, I, I think that's interesting to me because I wonder if, you know, certainly Matthew's, it's interesting to me because Mark's passage doesn't seem as abrupt as Matthew's dealing of it. And it seems kinder. Uh, you know, Matthew's makes it sound like Jesus is hangry. You know, I mean, I, you used the word petulant, uh, Brian, when we talked. And and um, and I, I wonder if there's some spiritual usefulness in, um, I, I mean, look at the context of what Jesus has been through. Look at, look at, you know, what he's been carrying, right? And so in the interest of, um, and, and then he says, right, you know, you can do this too, right? You can just point at anything and wither it. And, you know, if you have, if this is, if this is, you can move mountains, you can throw a mountain around, right? So, I mean, even the way it's dealt with in Matthew, part of what I think might be an interesting piece is to do some sort of, um, I, I, I mean, it makes me think a little bit about abuse of power, abuse of authority. I mean, cause it's all about authority in that chapter um, and him claiming authority. And he goes, I mean, that's, he, he cleanses the temple and then he goes back to the temple and they say, where are you getting this authority? And he's like, yeah, it's none of your business, right? I mean, it's kind of this petulant tone the whole time through it. And um, even the, the, the entry into Jerusalem, he doesn't want to do it. He's, he's doing it because he has to do it, right? So, I, I, I mean, I think, I think there's something to be said about what is the relationship that we have with sort of spiritual paths that we have to walk, that we know we have to go through. And, and sometimes our human, I, I mean, it, it reaction, it reminded me of Job and Jonah. And, you know, it's kind of Jesus's Job and Jonah moment. moment. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I don't want to do this. I'm ticked about it, right? I, I wonder if there, that's worth exploring with some prayers of confession. Um, I wonder if the whole, um, be mindful of what you can do with this authority, this spiritual authority is worth bringing up for people. Um, and then having those images of death and life. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a you know, I see Jesus cursing the fig tree it feels like what they say about when you have a bad day and you go home and you yell at your kid and you kick the dog. And that, I mean, that's what it feels like to me in my gut for, um, as a human being. And so I wonder where we can help people feel that more viscerally and, um, and say, that's part of the path. You know, that's part of the challenge of the path spiritually. Um, it seems so interesting, like to think about Jesus actually reacting to his environment. Like, 
I think that we don't, I think we know, like you said, like we know when we've had a bad day and then we yell at our kids or whatever, um, that that has an impact on us. I don't, I literally don't know if I've ever thought exactly about Jesus in that way, that like he knew and could feel the power struggle that was happening. Um, he, cause I think, I mean, Jesus knew that every sermon he preached, every parable that like upset the status quo, that I wonder how much of that like tension he could feel that was building. And I think, I mean, as, as preachers, sometimes if we're in situations of, of tension or conflict, we can sometimes uh, intuit some of that, you know, like that we're going to preach a sermon about this, or this is coming up for our congregation. Um, and I know that people are going to hear it in a particular way. Um, and you can kind of, you know, they talk about getting the, the thermostat um, just hot enough to get us to change, but not so hot that um, we're really too hot to do anything or, you know, or too cold. And I think that's such an interesting dynamic to like really get people to think about the humanity of Jesus. Like here he is, this human being walking, walking in the world, creating opportunities for, for growth, which means creating opportunities to feel tension and conflict. And, and where does that look like? Oh, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you said that. I just, I don't know how you get people to, to do that, but I would love, love how do you in, invite people into that conversation to experience that a bit. I wonder if that isn't, so if Brian would use this as a Palm Sunday thing, I might use it as a Holy Week study, right? I might use, or a Holy Week sort of um, devotional thing. Um, because if, I mean, if we're going to look at the humanness of Jesus, Holy Week is the time to do it, right? If you ask me. Um, But I am curious about using use of authority and power and how he how he talks about that. And it seems like in terms of the parables that are told in this, um, you know, in this chapter following as well, um, or the, you know, as, as we continue on in Matthew, it seems that that bears some thinking about too, in terms of the, uh, the prodigal son is in there, right? How do you use that authority? How does the older th son and the father, how do they use the authority in terms of um, the choice to be compassionate or loving? Yeah, it, it certainly would do, it certainly would be doable um, for a, um, uh, going back to what you were saying, Rebecca, uh, creating something like a, a, a series of stations uh, or scenes um, uh, wherein you could uh, trace and I think, uh, as you mentioned, also Stacy, uh, sort of, uh, if this were um, uh, a multi-layered series of some in some kind, sort of moving through the seasons uh, and tracing the the trajectory of of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem at the opening of of chapter twenty one, um, and uh, uh, all the way through uh, maybe the end of that chapter, but 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 at least through um, uh, through the cursing of. Uh, uh, of of the tree, um, and and there is um, um, there are a lot of undertones here about um, the prophetic ministry of Jesus and the tracing of this back to um, uh, to the time of the Hebrew prophets to Isaiah uh, and um, the 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 practice of the sign act uh, and the way in which. Um, um, God invites um, uh, the prophets to uh, to perform uh, the word that is that is being declared 
um, in various ways. And that I, I sort of see see this in that in that vein. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, I think uh, the themes that you that you have uh, mentioned of of death and resurrection of life of uh, abuse and misuse of power uh, and also appropriate um, uh, use of power. There's there's also something here, I think, that's uh, worth uh, calling attention to of um, uh, the summons to um, uh, to God's justice, to God's righteousness and to um, uh, and uh, um, Though it may be discomforting uh, to to us in various ways, um, uh, that is the that is the invitation that God sort of extends to into uh, in various ways. And so um, there's a lot I think uh, in this passage and the passages around it um, that uh, that layers on a kind of paradoxical reflection uh, for uh, a congregation or. Um, uh, or others to sort of uh, uh, dive into, um, uh, maybe not in even as you said in one gathering, but in a series of gatherings. I I think to that point, I mean, whether this is is taking what Jesus said and kind of running ahead with it, which I actually feel like Jesus wants us to take what he says and run with it. Like he really, that's kind of the point. And so, are there proverbial fig trees are there proverbial mountains to move here why can't we wither racism why can't we wither you know abusive destructive systemic evil why can't we wither um you know pride and sin why, why can't we i mean it, i don't think it's just a matter of moving mountains to find your parking space type of thing it's like it's like what are the mountains and maybe if i'm hearing you right andrew yeah, the summons is to, to utilize that power, that authority to take on some of these things that are really diminishing the lives of God's children that are hurting people that are like, not just to be, you know, it, it, yeah, so in some ways, the passage feels like there's like that Hogwarts response, like, oh, wow, you can do these neat tricks, you know, Expelliarmus, you know, it's like the disciples want to wield this power. But I think Jesus is also teaching something throughout about the appropriate use of power, power that is used to protect, to serve, to give, to, to create life. It's just, it's difficult. To, this passage is difficult because here Jesus destroys life. <laughs> and, you know, if we are going to dip into the Zipporah story, there is that whole side of this about how dangerous God actually is. And there are there is a, a much older tradition even than ours about you really don't you don't mess around with God. God is a consuming fire. God is to be feared and revered. And and is is Jesus showing a little bit of that? Like, don't forget, you know, that life and death are in the power of, of the word. Like that. I don't know. I think I mean I mean I think that's that that to me is almost where I'd want to be going with it, right? I mean, that that is almost exactly the point of um, the uh, prayers of confession or a liturgy of repentance, right? For, um, for misuse of power um, or misunderstanding our authority. I mean, and not understanding our authority. Um, part of what I thought with the dead trees was um, 
if you went that direction, I mean, if you went more that direction rather than a sort of, um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, if you centered it more on that in terms of an individual's spiritual sort of path and, and understanding that, what if you, I mean, I even thought about hanging words on the dead trees, you know, words of um, condemnation, words of, um, uh, you know, uh, words of curse, cursing, you know, versus um, a tree that might be, you know, instead of having a live tree in the front, have a tree that has all green slips of paper on it. And, the, and those are affirmation words, right? Which is, I, I think, um, a slightly different way of looking at that liturgically, right? Um, and what, what your purpose would be. But that building up or tearing down kind of piece and um, in terms of a, be careful how you speak, be careful how you, um, how you use this power that's been given to you. Yeah, and that's I, just adding, adding, adding to that. Um, so uh, when Jesus goes back into the temple, uh, you mentioned uh, Stacy beginning in verse 23 of uh, Matthew 21, um, when they say, by what authority are you doing these things? They're not talking about the fig tree. They're talking about him allowing uh, persons uh, who uh, were otherwise excluded from being uh, in the temple complex to coming in. He's healing them there. Uh, he's drawing attention to uh, the need for the for prayer. Uh, there's an inclusiveness um, that harkens back to the prophet Isaiah. Um, there's uh, all of this, all this taking place. And so, part of what um, of what Jesus, uh, I think, um, uh, uh, one of the I think a really important difference between the Matthew's version of the story and Mark's is that in Mark, it's very clear that when this takes place. Um, uh, the gospel writer adds, it wasn't the season for figs. And so, um, but here in Matthew, that's not there. And so this is happening. Um, and I think the, the absence of that phrase would denote for us that, um, at least for, 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 uh, for Matthew's gospel in this version of the story, um, it is the season. Now is the season. And, and, and there's no fruit. And so what do you do? Um, how do you respond? And so I think um, the the, the, I think there's a drawing attention to what is worship, what is our space for worship for? What is the structure of our community for? Um, and, and how are we making it possible uh, for uh, the, the fruitfulness of the community to emerge? Um, and, uh, and where is it missing? And where is it absent? And how do we respond when that happens um, in ways that are, uh, again, in keeping with, um, with the spirit of renewal? Uh, and restoration um, that uh, uh, that that gathering together not only makes possible, but what we hope will nurture uh, by the uh, by the presence of God uh, among us. How would this conversation change again? No limits. Like if we had a bunch of different people together that weren't normally a part of the congregation. Like I think. Because some of the things that we're talking about, I think in a congregation where people know each other, there could be um, some interesting correlation with the kind of depth of, of knowledge of one another. But as you're kind of talking about, like all of these, all these aspects of how this is happening, because in the story, you know, this is happening, Jesus and his disciples, but like just next to them are, are these events where Jesus is talking to thousands of people. And so like, 
are they seeing this too? Um, did they notice the fig tree? You know, like, because it is sort of like, you know, this happened over here, the fig tree died. If nobody sees it, then it doesn't matter. You know, it's like the tree falls in the woods, doesn't make any noise. And so I'm just wondering, like, what would it look like if, if this, if the worship service was part of that kind of movement um, and brought in, how would different voices see this or understand it? Um, you know, how would different communities, you know, like I think, you know, we all sit kind of certainly in a seat of privilege with um, white affluent congregations. And so our congregations would hear one thing, but what would it look like to have multiple leaders and communities sort of reflecting on, on what they hear? Because um, I think that that would get back to what you're talking about, the power dynamics, they feel like, how would that, how might that help us have that conversation and some learning around the power dynamics that are uh, a part of our churches, just like they're a part of everything else that we, that isn't contained in our world. Um, and maybe that's too much uh, to ask of a worship um, experience, but I also think that like, in many ways, I feel like worship is a practice ground or a cultivation ground for the kind of presence that we bring to our our activity in the world and our life in the world. And so like, could could there be a worship service that would create enough safety that people could experience it, that people didn't just close up and shut shut down, but also to like invite invite that. And that would be different depending on who you were and, and what what community um, experience you you bring to that, you know, like because creating a safe space for me is going to be different than creating a safe space for um, a black woman or um, a, a person who, who lives with disability. I mean, like those kinds of things would be very different. And so I, I wonder if there would be possibility to bring that conversation together. But that feels to me, that feels like that would be like years of cultivating that space in order to have a worship service like that. The question of power dynamics, uh, though, too, it brings the it's related to this question about what is sacred and what is profane and how do we draw those lines and make distinctions and uh, and then apply those distinctions to the people in our community. Uh, and um, so I, I, I do agree with you. There is, uh, I think, would also be potential for um, some kind of an um, um, ecumenical uh, sort of reflection, or maybe to say it differently, of just um, uh, drawing attention to the fact that at least from uh, from the, the, the hearts and minds of the people uh, in the story, um, uh, Jesus' um, uh, presence and, uh, and actions uh, in the temple, and we might also say in, uh, it, we get in relation to the fig tree, um, are, uh, have political implications. Uh, there's, a, there's a visibility to what Jesus is doing, um, that uh, that calls attention to the scope of our ministries uh, and um, uh, the way in which we um, even draw lines about uh, this is where the church stops and this is where the world starts and all of that kind of thing. There's an intermingling um, that uh, uh, here that I think is really uh, um, uh, valuable. You know, what? Uh, a thing that's starting to emerge is taking that whole dead plant thing and moving it out maybe from a Palm Sunday or even just a liturgically oriented service to 
I'm picturing like a, a co-op garden type of setting or a mission garden type of setting. I, I think of uh, David Melby Gibbons in Milwaukee going out with some of the kids from the community to pick green beans. And so what happens if you've got a group of people working together in a garden and you, and you, and you come upon a plant that is withered and you pause and you pray, offer a prayer of lament for not providing that plant what it needed, for not giving it enough water, for not getting the, the, the soil in shape, for not protecting it from pests or disease, and, and, and almost like a living parable. And, and then to kind of say, and so who are the people among us in our midst who are not flourishing because there's something we could have done, something we could be doing, that we're not. I don't know, like that's a whole different direction now, like a, a co-op garden, mission garden, and, and a pause for lament and, and confession and, and a commitment then, a rededication to, to the flourishing of all. I, I don't know, that, that's just a little, this kind of went sideways in my head. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to say that I actually thought about, do, would you pair this? I mean, two things that I thought, it, um, you know, if this were in Lent, would I pair it with um, Jesus in the wilderness? Would I bookend Lent and use this as a temptation story? Um, that was one of my my initial thoughts. Was how do I how do I get people to think on a more holistic basis about this and not just see it as Jesus being petulant? Right. Not because I, because I completely agree with Andrew. I mean, I don't, and I, yeah, I mean, that's an important piece to say, that's not what they were talking about with the authority in the temple. Right. I mean, this is, this is a small piece, a small snapshot, but it's a, but for me, it is about the temptation to misuse, right. Or to take our authority seriously and understand the power of it. So the other piece I thought about was, you know, was the parable of the seeds on rocky ground on, you know, um, on good soil. And liturgically, there's a beautiful, um, I think it's Lutheran, it may be Catholic hymn, um, Lord, let your heart, let my heart be good soil. I don't know if you know that one. It's beautiful, um, open to the seed of your word. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's this, that to me, I would use at the end of the service um, as sort of the um, redeeming sort of, um, you know, leaving part of it, the, the closing hymn um, that, and, and those all things all seem to go together for me as well. There's a community garden, just a block down um, from, from our church. And so I, you know, um, and there's a, a group in our neighborhood called Wisconsin Food Forest that is planting, um, planting fruit trees and, and um, bushes and pollinator gardens for gleaning, for community gleaning. So um, th those all seemed like appropriate places as well. Um, and, and Rebecca, the other thing I thought about in terms of other direction, uh, you know, I think I th I'm really fascinated by your idea about um, helping us see differently um, how our privilege and our um, lack of consciousness of it can can be that withering force, right? And I, I was thinking when you said that um, uh, it, there's a, you know, a, a Moravian Unity um, group that is meeting that started off being called Unity and Dialogue. 
and we had to we had to talk about the fact that dialogue is a word that is not a positive word for very much of our of our Moravian unity. And so now it's called unity and conversation, right? But that word that seemed so innocuous to so many of us um, and seemed to describe perfectly was was really all about colonization, all about that's the word you use when you want to invite those of us that you, you know, now you want our perspective, right? Now you want our perspective and that's the word that you choose to use for it, but it's never been, we've never experienced it as a dialogue. So how are we going to reframe this if we really want to be, you know, coming into it with equitable intentions um, and feelings about it? So, yeah, I, I think there's some really fascinating ways this could go. Do you notice yeah. how well we're ignoring Zipporah's story? <laughs> we'll talk about this for the whole hour. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. No, that, um, thank you. I, and I just wanted to pick up on, on, on what you were saying about, um, so because the fig tree is, um, located outside of the temple and uh, just in terms of the physical location. Um, but there's, but then there's also, again, from chapter 24, this, um, uh, allusion to, um, uh, the arrival of summer, uh, and the, the, uh, the putting forth of, of new leaves and, and of, um, uh, the arrival of the fullness of things. Um, uh, for me, that speaks to, um, you know, as as stark and as um, uh, challenging uh, the the um, the the withering of the fig tree in the previous chapters are uh, uh, are um, uh, maybe it is um, as a story and as a uh, as a as a proclamation. Um, there's also uh, again similar to the prophetic tradition. Um, uh, there is all there is at the same time. Um, um, an opportunity. There's a, a word of renewal that that comes right there, and I'm thinking about the uh, the, the 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 sprout uh, come coming from the the stump of Jesse, um, and uh, thinking about um, the the way in which a service like this uh, might also um, create space for us to point to um, uh, where God is at work outside of the church, um, and how we might um, uh, uh, notice. Uh, and listen and 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 be invited to participate, not in something that that we're doing that we can be proud of, but in something that that we're not doing, um, but that is happening. And we can say, uh, God's spirit is at work here. Um, we see this. We want to name that, and we want to uh, to join that. And so I'm wondering about um, uh, not the church's ministry, uh, but um, but other community spaces. You you mentioned uh, Stacy um, and and persons who are doing um, that work and drawing attention to that, lifting it up, uh, and that that being an opportunity for folks to uh, to come into contact um, with uh, ways in which there is fruitfulness, um, not inside the the structures of, and strictures of the church, um, but beyond. That's awesome. Thank you, Andrew. That's a great idea. I mean, I think we could probably spend the whole time talking about this, and we could probably spend a whole nother hour talking about Sephora, because um, that was our other kind of scripture um, from Exodus. Uh, so we can we can move to that if you want, or we can stay here. Um, but I, what I think is really interesting is that um, for a scripture that many of us have not used as sort of a central text to a worship service, like there have been lots of ideas about how, how you might 
um, develop this out. And I think I think what what happens to me in worship in any particular setting is that we get into a rhythm, which I think is good. Rhythms are good. They're helpful. They give us a way for people to connect and to and to feel comfortable. Um, but I also think that like what's really interesting to me is how do we allow the rhythms to shift a little bit? Like I've always felt like worship was sort of like a jazz um, ensemble that that there is sort of a beat that you're kind of moving around to and something that you can expect. But then there's always these places where um, this just starts to happen. Something else um, begins to play differently. And in the jazz musicians who I have known, um, you know, they talk about things like, you know, well, it just felt like the right time to do this differently. Um, or um, other musicians I knew who I was, I would ask them questions like, how is it that you knew that that harmony would be the would be the one you know like how'd you pick that one or how'd you come up with that one and they were like oh I didn't come up with it like they're all out there you know you just sort of have to listen which is the the art of a musician which I am not one of one of them but you know like to be able to kind of grab and and gravitate towards those things because I think the dissonance is also part of what makes the story and worship meaningful and I think that that's this story for me kind of is a an image of that. Like th this is a dissonant story of Jesus. It does not fit with all of the other things that I think of immediately when I think about Jesus. Like I don't think, oh, Jesus is going around cursing people. I'm angry. Like I just, but he did have he did do those things as well. Like that was part of his experience. And so I kind of love the way that um, the ideas we have don't negate any of that, but kind of bring almost bring to light that like sometimes the dissonance in the story helps us see the with more clarity the full the fullness of the rest of the story um so uh, i don't know what what's what's the good of the order do we want to keep talking about a fig tree or do we want to give a few minutes to zipporah we don't have enough time but um maybe we're being good church people by by putting putting zipporah at the very end you know it's a quick quick entrance into what would we do with that story I think there are people outside of the church very interested in the Zipporah story. I, I went down a rabbit hole and I found a U.S. news <laughs> article with questions like, why did Zipporah, a woman, perform the circumcision? Uh, which of their two sons was involved in this altercation? Uh, was God the attacker or did God send some other being? Why did Zipporah and Moses separate? Is the Cushite or Ethiopian wife of Moses referred to in the text Zipporah or another woman? And one of the ways that it was described is the pagan daughter of a foreign priest standing up to God. Uh, that Zipporah delivers the deliverer. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's hear the passage and maybe just even just to start to kind of dive into it or see if there's any themes from that we've been kind of teasing out of, uh, of the gospel reading there, maybe that connect. I don't know. Well, if we look at the passage from um, Exodus chapter four, um, and I'll read just a little bit before and after it. Um, so this is Exodus chapter four, verses 21 um, through 27. 
And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I said to you, let my son go that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Now I will kill your firstborn son. On the way as a place where they spent the night, the Lord met him and tried to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint and cut off his son's, her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, truly, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. another jump into kind of a flyover text I think that we um, I think this one is not in the lectionary at all so if somebody's read it it's because they've done a, a deeper study of Exodus um, we don't hear much about Sephora um, and her relationship with Moses and what that what that did for for him allowed him to do um, in his ministry and following of God but it does seem like she's quick on the uptake She's like ready to ready to solve this problem um, and make sure that that things are in the right order um, for Moses and her family. Without getting in too much to the, the content of the story, I think my um, um, uh, if we were if we were to be dedicated to the to the context of worship for something uh, like this, I would I think. Um, uh, in the context of of an expiration of 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 the women of women of Exodus um, and uh, a series of of explorations, uh, beginning with uh, the midwife Shifra and Prua at the beginning, um, the daughter of Pharaoh, Moses' mother, um, uh, uh, Miriam, of course, and so lifting up um, uh, uh, the the many um, uh, women of of Exodus who are not. Um, though they may be uh, not given as much attention textually, um, their significance and importance in in this story of uh, of the liberation of the people of God is um, is 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 paramount. So um, I'll just I'll just put that out there as of um, um, sort of where my imagination goes as to um, where you might create space uh, for a story like this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that we don't, we don't, I, I have, you don't think about how many women are actually in this story in the first few chapters, even like, it's not, it's not later in the story. It's at the very beginning. Um, there are so many women who you write, like make this story possible. Um, but we don't often center on them. Yeah, I mean, I think this, I, I think this one is difficult because culturally, it, there's, there's so much there that we cannot relate to, right? And so part of, you know, when I, when I was thinking about it, part of what I was thinking of is, how do you, um, how do you appropriately contextualize it for us, for people of faith, right? And, and can you, can you even do that, right? And um, 
so, you know, forgive me for, um, because I'm going to let go of a lot of that stuff right now. And I'm just going to say, um, when I, when I looked at it and thought about, okay, as, as the mother in a, in a family, as a wife in a family, how can I understand this from that context, um, what she did, right? And it's a sacrificial act. Um, And I wondered about the times that we, you know, again, this is about how does this serve us in our spiritual path and can it serve us in our spiritual path, right? And so I wondered about the times that we make bargains with God when we're really most afraid in our life. Um, and when we do, um, when we do things we would not normally do, right? Um, and what drives us to that? Um, I wondered if there was some usefulness in that. I also thought about, you know, Brian, you talked about, um, you know, uh, are we coming at it with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand? I thought about the incident that was in the news, and I'm pretty sure it was Washington D.C. when there were protests and. Um, there were, um, and there was a lot of police action going on. And the woman who, um, who was literally kind of beating her son in public. Um, and there was a lot of backlash about this woman being so, um, so harsh with her teenage son, right, in public. And, um, and it was an African-American woman. Um, and, you know, that whole context of if I don't get you to stop what you're doing, it's going to be worse, whatever, you know, I'm doing this out of fear for my child's life. Right. And so a lot of the backlash was from people who didn't understand that, that sense of what she was doing. Um, But I totally got it. I totally got it. Right. I, you know, am I going to, am I going to beat my child in public if I think it's going to save his life? I, I don't want to do that, but if I'm that scared, if I'm that desperate um, to save what I love, would I do something that I will be, you know, who cares what public critic- criticism is? I'd rather have him um, seed at my hands than seed at the police's hands, right? I, I don't know if there's something in there about about that um, yeah. for us. Well, it's a very powerful contrast with Moses, who kind of wheedles and complains, and I don't know, and and Zipporah just jumps right in and and has that. As I'm hearing you, Stacy, like that mama bear, and even in the face of God, you know, even who you know textually we're like oh no you will drop dead immediately in the presence of god the glory will incinerate you and somehow zipporah doesn't care like she or she cares more about something else that she dives in in such a decisive and powerful way um it's stunning it's stunning and and as you pointed out andrew there are many women who act are not acted upon who act in 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 this story and I think historically they've been given short shrift or we've, I don't know, you know, when we develop the more of the patriarchal lens through which, you know, all things had to be viewed or understood, but this is definitely an example of just a very powerful person acting in a, in a very strong and courageous way. 
and is a huge part of the story of the people of God. Yeah. Well, so so we were drawing attention to the, this um, uh, uh, sort of a larger discussion of power in relation to the story of the fig tree. I think here, um, uh, not just in this story, but throughout Exodus, is the question of um, uh, where and how do we see God's justice and righteousness? Um, and um, in the uh, uh, the uh, not simply as words that are heard, but as words that are lived. Uh, a law is then later given that the people consent to uh, to 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 seeking to embody, um, and there's a way in which um, a people are being formed uh, out of um, uh, to um, uh, to a God. Sort of alluding to what you were saying earlier, Brian, uh, to to a God who um, uh, who is free uh, and who is um, uh, um, not tame, uh, and uh, and uh, and so how. Uh, how how do we um, uh, 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 wrestle with um, what really is uh, the the precariousness of a people who are uh, bound enslaved uh, and whose lives um, uh, each and every day um, are 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 threatened and oppressed uh, and um, uh, violently disconsidered and disregarded. Um, and in that space and in those spaces and at, at the, the verses after this, in the wilderness, kinds of spaces, um, um, uh, a people are formed um, for, uh, for, for other purposes, um, uh, not for disregarding, not for disconsidering, um, but for um, a life that is shared, uh, that is generative and generous. Um, and that um, and that is called to neighborliness. I mean, there's just so much. Um, uh, uh, I feel like I'm flying at thirty thousand feet here, but I but I'm but I'm thinking sort of this this story in the context of this larger story, and and of uh, uh, as well as Moses, um, who at, who at this time is still not quite sure that he's the right person for this. Um, and uh, and is still trying to figure out what exactly God is calling him to, um, and who this God is. Um, and so I think the um, uh, we see uh, in this story the the, the passion of God, uh, but also um, God's um, uh, uh, the 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 people's care for one another um, uh, in 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 indecisiveness uh, as you uh, as others have. Uh, have mentioned and uh, uh, the way that that itself can can point to um, uh, something revealing uh, about um, uh, the justice and righteousness and holiness of the divine. Yeah, when you talk about that, I think it's, it always strikes me that when we talk about justice and God's justice, that there, for me at least, there has to always be um, kind of the caveat that like, this is as much as I can understand about that. Um, because I think that, you know, it is easy to get, you know, really riled up and be like, this is justice. And I think probably a lot of the times we're right about that. Um, you know, cause like, I think anger is very revealing about like when injustice is happening. Um, but I look at this story and also think about, you know this is Moses still, as you said, like still discerning this call. He doesn't really know yet that this is exactly where he needs to be. 
And so what is it about this interaction with God that feels like God is trying to kill? Like, I'm always like, was he having a panic attack? Like, was he just overwhelmed by the prospect of being an agent of God's justice? Um, because he, he had been told already that it's going to come down. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to just let Pharaoh off the hook. Like there is going to, there's going to be consequence to, to this um, connection to power and, and not in like the punitive nature, but just like, because like, I'm, I'm not saying that I think God, you know, is always looking around trying to like move all the pieces so that the right people get punished. I don't actually think that I believe that that's how it works, but I do think that consequences are, are a natural part of, of life. And I think that that, that could be a really interesting um, area of discussion around this scripture, um, because I think that this is a place where Moses is really kind of trying to embody this role that has been given to him, placed upon him, and it will not be easy, and it won't be clear always how this goes. And so I think, um, in some ways, it's sort of, it's sort of like ripping a bandaid off. Like Sephora, sort of, maybe she knows her spouse well enough to know, but like, just go, just get out there, just push you out there, and and get over the hump of like needing to figure this out because maybe there is no figuring it all out like you're not going to be prepared for all that's going to happen you just have to trust that god will be with you in the moment when you need when you need to meet a challenge that you aren't prepared for um and i think that particular idea really speaks speaks to most people um and would be a, a way to to worship god to to remember together that we are we are capable of doing more than we imagine, not because we have the capacity, but because God alive in us helps us with the capacity we don't have to meet to meet the challenges that are before us. And and in a way that that I think helps me to think about what are who are the relations, who are the people in my life who can do what support did for Moses? Who are the people that that see you you need this to get by? Um, and so I'm just going to do something. And, and even if we don't know that they do it, but they kind of lay the path or the framework for, um, for us to, to take that next step. And I think as, as clergy people, is, it, is that sometimes our role to be that support us to kind of make, make room, make, make evidence, you know, space for this next thing um, because we want, we want people um, who we are caring for and leading in our congregations and our settings to to take that next step and and we know that it'll be hard and we know that we don't have all the answers but how do we how do we lead people into deeper trust in what God is able to do um, when we sort of let go a little bit and and don't don't take um, too much control so so I think you just gave me the end of the the what if we went with the, um, when do we make our bargains with God, right? I think, I think what you just said, Rebecca, is the redemption of it, is the resolution of it in worship, right? It's how we take some, how we, how we start from a place of, um, of repentance, of look at, look at where we are to move into a place of agency and community. 
Um, and I, and I actually think that, um, clergy are the Moses in some ways. And we, and, and the community piece is where are the Zipporahs, you know, that say, oh, get over yourself. Oh, quit think overthinking things. You know, we just got to do this, right? Where are those people that have agency in the congregation that don't need to be ordained necessarily, right? But that take, that, that, that help shepherd us, that help support us as clergy. Um, so in some ways, I wonder, it, you know, I don't know that it has to be lay in clergy. I don't know that it has to be, but, but in terms of community, where are the people that are, that have to be the Moses, right? It has to be them because of who they are, where they are, what their gifts are, but that are constantly questioning it, right? Or constantly. And then the people that just say, you know, go, you got this. If this is what you need here, I can do this for you. Just get out there and do it, right? You're the one that needs to be doing this part of it. Um, I just wonder what, how you could form that in terms of um, the difference between sort of um, magical thinking about bargaining with God and what we have to do and, um, and the prayers we make that say, um, I need this, right? I mean, I've always, I've, I've always struggled with those times when um, life has been in the balance in some way, right? Right. I mean, I'm I'm talking about um, 30 years old, and my mom has a brain tumor, and I'm vacuuming and I'm praying, make it go away, make it go away, make it go away. Right. You know, um, that makes no sense. But your heart and your spirit are like, I cannot come up with any other way to deal with this. Right. Um, so, so how do you make the shift as a person of faith? from that magical, magical thinking and praying that we all have done at some point um, at our most desperate moments to um, the strength and the agency that trusts, that trusts God enough, that has enough faith to do the hard acts of, you know, of sacrifice um, or of faithfulness or whatever um, for, the, for the good of community. Um, I think there's, I think there's some, <clears throat> um, some path there spiritually that could be encapsulated in worship. And I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> but, um, but what you said, I think is, is right. And I think there's something about agency and community there that it redeems this. Um, and, and somehow I think Andrew's, you know, 30,000 foot view of it scripturally um, weaves into that as well. Well, what you've said, Stacey, also brings to mind just this really important question of discernment um, in that um, uh, there's decisive action taken in the story, but without really knowing what the right thing is. Um, and so, and, and, and often uh, we, we do find ourselves in uh, uh, situations um, uh, some 
in our society more than others, uh, living day to day or, or, or in, in, uh, in other uh, circumstances such as you described, um, where um, uh, moment to moment, hour to hour, we're not really sure whether or not what we're doing is going to amount to the difference that we're hoping for. Um, and yet there's a sense in which something has to happen. Something, something needs to happen that's different. Um, a, a, a shift needs to take place. Um, and an action needs to be undertaken. And, and, um, uh, and so how, uh, uh, I mean, how, how much thought in the midst of, of this story, uh, Zipporah's uh, decisive action, how much time do you really have to think about what you're going to do before you decide to do something? And so, um, uh, and uh, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I think um, obviously this is on for a much longer conversation. I would love to do it, um, but for the the length of the podcast and for time and the day, um, I think we'll we'll end there. Um, but what I love about this is that I think um, you know when we think about planning worship, I think sometimes it feels like an event, which it can be. But um, you know, Brian and I really have have talked around and and thought about how worship is is the movement. Of, of life and, and in that movement. And so where are the, where are the ways that these conversations continue to come up, um, you know, practically in our ministry, you know, like maybe this is a, a text to use in a joint board retreat um, with a couple of areas of worship to talk about what does that look like um, to, to support leadership in the community um, and for the good of, of what God is, is up, at, up to and about. Um, but I am just really grateful for this, um, this fruitful conversation about a barren fig tree and um, a really distressing moment um, that Moses had with God. So um, I'm so grateful for your time and for your for your contributions and insights. Um, and I hope people um, enjoy kind of getting a glimpse into like what is it what does it look like to have a conversation about what you would do in worship, um, how and why. Um, and I think even though we had some really like kind of big ideas, I don't feel like any of them were not doable. I think that you know, they would, they might stretch the budget or um, take a little, they'll take more than a little pre-planning, but um, you know, I think sometimes it's worth investing in the experience so that we are able to, as a community, um, connect in ways that, that really have transformational value, um, you know, because that's what, I feel like that's what worship is about. Worship is about learning and 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 growing in our ability to be transformed by the gospel um and by and by what that good news has to say to us and to the world through us so thank you so much for your time and for for this conversation yeah this was so much fun this i mean even if we weren't doing a podcast i just rebecca and i time and time again say these are just conversations that are so much fun and so enriching and you know, I, I feel like anybody involved with planning worship, thinking it through, I, I hope are, are having these kinds of conversations, you know, and really doing it in a much more collaborative. Sometimes I think we kind of, I don't know, I, I have a tendency to kind of sequester myself, get at my desk, get my commentaries and I'm, and yeah, like planning an event, but this feels to me so much more generative, like worship as a bigger conversation, worship as a, as a shared experience. So yeah thank you thank you so much guys thanks for listening you can follow us on instagram at create and we worship 
If you have questions, thoughts, or ideas you'd like to share with us, email us at moraviancreatinme at gmail.com. A special thanks to David Melby Gibbons, Rachel Marie, and John Robinson for our theme music. Check them out at Dust of the Saints on Facebook and rachelmarie.com. As always, keep on creating. Thank you.